Yeah, hello. Hello, Luke. Hello, Gilmer. How are you? Good. How are, how are you doing, buddy? I'm good. Just thought I'd call you and say hey. Hey, how are things? Well, good. Anywho, so so uh, are you going to work tomorrow? You got a normal day? Yeah. Yep. Back back to life tomorrow. I'm finally awake. I feel fully engaged with the world now. Good. I slept I'm so much the past three days. Yeah. I'm glad you're back. We Thank needed you. you. We needed you. I know. I had something pop in. Oh, so do you like your setup? I, I know do. it's annoying I that do. you can't get the headphone thing. That is annoying. Well, just as long as I sound okay. That's oh, the only part that I really care about. Luke, so, you sound amazing. Like I, I figure I won't change it. I won't change the gain at, at all. No, it's not the gain. You don't worry about the gain. It's just the headphone jack. I mean, you can turn it. I have mine if it's set at uh, three p.m. or three three o'clock. Uh, the little dial, I can hear myself fine, and then you start talking. And I'm like, I want to kill myself. Well, that, ch- but that's not going to change with this mic then because it's Apple, because it's a Mac. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. But your voice sounds better. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, it's a superior microphone, so it's capturing, and through the analog, whatever, it's capturing so much cleaner, clearer, and it's canceling out all the stuff around it, so it's not just picking up the whole room. I think maybe um, one day me and you should call each other, and we should talk about the soul of the apostolate together. Yeah, I would, I would like that. Yeah, I think that'd be really fun. I think it'd be really yeah. good. So I would love that. Yeah, and I'm working on... A fairly lengthy chapter of a book that I'm doing. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really trying to get this thing done. And um, it's not the one I was working on earlier on culture and stuff. But it, uh, it'll have elements of that in there. But um, I'm, writing on, I'm writing on discipleship and church renewal and stuff like that. Who isn't? Right. No, no shit. No shit. But what I'm <laughs> discovering in my research is... That a lot of the stuff that people are saying about discipleship in the Jewish context is total, like, I can't find any information about that. Uh, Are you, like, referring to the idea that if you were to stay so close to the the master's feet that the the dust... Yeah, like, stuff like that, yeah. Yeah. No. But I'm I'm talking about even the, the, the little boy going into the different levels, and then if he's good, he goes to the next... Like, I read it in a Focus article. And honestly, I've heard people reference that Focus article more than any scholarly thing. So I have literally spent a whole week studying through the Jewish Encyclopedia written in 1906. You know, they they don't give a shit about political correctness. They're like, yeah, Jesus, probably not a rabbi. That was a later edition. And like all this stuff. So I'm going through this stuff, researching the Catholic Encyclopedia, published in 1914, 1917, going through all these excellent articles on the scribes, the Sadducees, the Pharisees. Before the war. <laughs> exactly. Before the Great War. The war to end all wars. Um, and studied all this stuff. And they, none of that shit gets mentioned. And I'm looking up, like, Jacob Neusser's study of re- the early, like, the development of the rabbinical school before the year 200 AD, you know? So this is like that time period. And, and none of them ever talk about this stuff. So I, I think it'd be very interesting to do, to write a book on the history of the idea of discipleship. That's what I'm doing. Because if we're, yes, I mean, because like, we're trying to read, yeah, exactly. Sorry. I mean, no, and there's, that's this, awesome. Have you heard of the book? Um, 
uh, oh shit, um, uh, shop class as Soulcraft. No, but just by the title, it makes sense. Yeah, it's awesome. It's an incredible book, but it's 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 not like I mean, it's not Christian or anything. But the guy was like um, finance dude. You know, he's a super smart guy, and then he goes off to be a uh, to run a think tank at like the age of twenty six in D.C. And he does that for a couple years, and he hates his life. He hates D.C. He starts to wonder what's wrong, and then he starts fixing, like, a motorcycle, and his life is, like, yeah. so much better. So now he fixes motorcycles. Like, that's, like, his main job. And then every so often he authors these incredible books. And so the whole notion of shop classes, Soulcraft, is, like, working in the material world shapes you as a human person. Um mm. But his new book is uh, the guy from Art of Manliness interviewed him, and it's a good interview. I think I've heard that podcast episode. Yeah, it, it's, it uh, was something I, on like. So, sorry. Yeah, it's the Just world, the world beyond your mind, and yeah. he, and he talks about how he's basically coming against like enlightenment views of the intellect, and I'm telling you, man, this shit is awesome. I am loving every second of this book. Um, do you have an Audible subscription still? Uh, no, but I think we still have a credit. Okay. So, yeah, I, I am. So, I mean, he talks a lot about epistemology, but I think it's in a very approachable way. If that's not like, if you didn't study epistemology in college, I think you could still get a handle on it because you would know all the broad, I mean, like the Emmanuel Kant and Rene Descartes and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But, Mm -hmm. um, he is doing this fantastic job. And one of the things I would love to talk about is, and I think this is so powerful, is maybe next week. He talks about gambling addicts and how they're not, this is amazing. He said, this one woman said, when I go and gamble, and they're all talking slot machines, 75% of all of Las Vegas' revenue comes from slot machines. Slot machines, not James Bond, kick-ass, high-stakes poker Frickin' quarter-at-a-time slot machines. And the way they do it is, I mean, number one, it's all rigged. It's all 100% rigged. The the slot Mm -hmm. machines do not, it's not a game of chance at all. It is literally rigged from beginning to end. Um, They, like, install buckets so when you win and coins go in the bucket. um, In the past, they didn't have that, so you'd have to catch them with your hands or get a cup. And it said that too many people would leave and go and cash out. But if they have the big bucket of coins there, they'd stay and just feed it just reach down right into the, their own winnings and feed it into the coins. Uh, you know, they, they, they have this thing now where you just swipe your credit card, and they literally call it play to extinction, which means till the person's credit card runs out of money. And, that, and, they wow. just, and so this one woman said, whenever I go gambling, I like to wear dark-colored clothing so no one can see my urine uh, when I when – I, Go to the bathroom by myself. Holy crap. And it's it's not like she's not a freak. She's typical. And the other thing you find out is as these great like corporate resorts have moved in since the nineties and taken mm-hmm. over Las Vegas, the number one source of revenue, about eighty percent of their revenue, comes from locals. That is people who live in Las Vegas who, you know, might work as a waitress or a waiter in these resorts. They then come around and they spend five to seven days feeding these machines Mm -hmm. over and over again. And here is the most interesting point, I think. He said 
the goal of the gambling addict is not to win big. In fact, many gambling addicts get pissed off when they win in like the middle of the night because they just want to go home. But when they win, they have to spend the rest of the money. He said the gambler is not looking to win the game. He's looking to spend his coins so he's not allowed to have any more decisions to make. Because the whole book is about like freedom and becoming an individual and and um, decision-making and attention. And he says, as long as they still have five coins, they're going to gamble it all away because they don't want to make a decision about gambling. He said, the goal of gambling is to be spent. And I thought, when I heard that phrase, I was in Costco by the markers. And I heard that, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, holy shit, that's porn addiction right there. Like, how many people, it's like, I don't care what I'm looking at, you know, next thing, next image, next video. And mm-hmm. you, like, go until... Like, I can think of, like, back when, I, in the midst of my show, it would be, like, two hours of watching porn. And then once once you, like, you know, masturbate, all that stuff, and you're spent, you're like, oh, okay, finally, I can go to bed. It's almost like you're looking for the permission of being spent when you literally have nothing left. You go till extinction, and then you're like, mm-hmm. okay, now I now I have permission to go to bed. Oh, man, this is breaking my brain. I think it's so fascinating. Uh, I think it's very interesting because, you know, when we talk about the art of uh, the art of the living in light of the new evangelization, I think so often we just refer to it as like a belief. And so much of it is just like having to rethink how our culture from the past three to, you know, like 500 years, honestly, has like rewired our brains or, yeah. or sorry, never, how, how it um, has wired our brains. Yeah, yeah. And like, and the things. That's why I think the art of millions is so great, or other, these these other things as well, because it's really, it you have to confront like maybe this isn't the best way to live. <laughs> maybe what we're doing to ourselves is actually destructive. Like I think of Tom Woods when I was super involved in the Kate or the um, the libertarian stuff in two thousand eight, two thousand ten. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm reading their stuff all the time, and they would say these really important comments, like the rise of capitalism has contributed to the greatest uplift in human history out of poverty. And that's very true, but it's also contributed to the widest income gap in the human history and the widest income gap between C- the highest paid and the lowest paid in the same corporation has been higher, has never been higher than in the middle of 2000, like 2005. Like that's when CEOs, it was our, maybe 2003 is when CEOs during the George W. Bush administration, CEOs were like, 300% more plus these, you know, kind of huge multi-million dollar bonuses to now they're like 3000% more than their cheapest employee plus even more insane bonuses. United States CEOs of major companies make on average 300 times what their workers earn. While the average worker salary is about $50,000, many CEOs make tens of millions of dollars. According to researchers, in 1970, this pay ratio of CEOs to average workers was only about 20 to one. So what happened? Why are CEOs paid so much more? And, and this is from companies like AIG, who had to get a government bailout. Once they got a bailout, they gave themselves a $20 million bonus or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. And you start to see these things. And, and I remember like James Woods would say things like, capitalism, you know, now more people have higher caloric intake than they've ever had in the history of the world. They're getting more calories. They're getting more food. Food's more plentiful. And then you watch about the industrialization of our food, and you're like, 
but this food is killing us. It's giving us cancer. It's, you know, we drink our calories. Like, that's not the highest caloric yeah. intake when it's a Coca-Cola or my daughter's grape juice has twice the amount of sugar per eight ounces than a Coca-Cola. Ooh. All, almost all juices are like that. 40 grams of sugar per eight ounce serving. 40. You think about that in any other time besides processed food time, the average human wouldn't get 40 grams of sugar in like in like a week. And my kids are getting mm-hmm. it in an eight ounce glass in a 10 minute time span before they go to school. You know, and it does really like, I know this, I can't believe this is about to come out of my mouth, but let it come like, <laughs> uh, there's a lot there. Um, Aaron. So I was like, why don't you buy the really like cheap eggs? She goes, don't you ever buy those? I was like, what, why? And just explained to me how, like, <laughs> like, just like they, like they treat the, like, you know, how they treat the animals and, and, and stuff. And I was like, that actually is horrible. Yeah, like it's like that's it's not beyond. being a good steward of creation. <laughs> no, these chickens never see sunlight. They're pretty much in the dark all the time. And people won't like this. Is my big like for the theology of the body? Um, I'm trying to really use Pope Francis, right? Like I, I can <laughs> try. I'm trying. I am. I am. And I'm trying to use Laudato Si. And so one of my things about Laudato Si that he said was this more human ecology. And I started to think about it from the perspective of, okay, so now we, modern philosophy and stuff, rejects the notion of nature. Because if a a thing has a nature, it has its own form as well as its own end. And we don't give a shit about form and end. We just don't want to know how to manipulate it to serve Mm -hmm. our ends, right? And so if sex has its own end, the procreation education of children then I can't manipulate it for my own means. Pleasure separated from baby making or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so um, you start to think about all this stuff. And for me, I was like, okay, if you think about it from nature's perspective, right, how do good things grow that we live on, like fruits and vegetables and animals that we're going to eat? And I said, and then you take that and you reject biology for the sake of chemistry or you view biology through the lens of a chemist instead of the lens of a bios, right, the lens of life, you view it through the lens of chemistry, basically you're turning, you're turning biology into nothing other than physics. That's what their goal is. And then what do you do? You shove as many cattle as you can in one area. They all start getting sick and dying, so then you pump them full of antibiotics, right? And then you, and what, what do you feed them? Well, they don't eat corn naturally, but they're going to have to eat corn feed for the rest of their lives. Oh, look, they're all still sick, and then they all die, and then you, we cut them up and serve them to people. And now people are eating corn-fed cattle that have been sick literally their entire lives in, up to their knees in shit, and then we eat mm-hmm. chickens. And the chickens, like I saw that if you haven't seen um, Food, Inc., you need to see that. It's a great, it is a really well-done um, documentary. It's on Netflix. Um, and, and you start to see this in how we violate nature for the sake of our ends. We impose our ends on it. And by doing that, it actually ends up destroying us because our food, our whole food chain is unhealthy. Here are my five key takeaways from Food Inc. Number one, our disconnect from nature. At the very start, the documentary looks at the concept of a supermarket. 
something that is a big part of our everyday lives. Modern American supermarkets have on average 47,000 products, which helps create the illusion of diversity. It talks about the creation of this pastoral fantasy. When you look at a lot of products, it has a picture of a farmer on the front, when actually most of our food these days isn't produced on a farm, as we traditionally think of it, but in massive factories. And how that then leaks out into the environment where all of a sudden the bees are disappearing because there's too much monoculture with our government or with our um, uh, corporate farms and all these things build and build and build. And then you look at the psychology of these gamblers and how you can draw a straight line from the, the gambling machine to Candy Crush and Clash of Clans and all of that. The companies keep the farmers under their thumb because of the debt that the farmers have. To build one poultry house is anywhere from $280,000 to $300,000 per house. And once you make your initial investment, the companies constantly come back with demands of upgrades for new equipment, and the grower has no choice. They have to do it or you're threatened with loss of a contract. This is how they keep the farmers under control. It's how they keep them spending money, going to the bank and borrowing more money, um, and the debt just keeps building. To have no say in your business, it's degrading. Um, it, it, it's like being a slave to the company. Because literally, the Clash of Clans and Candy Crush are designed as a slot machine. There's a great episode of South Park on yeah, this. Yeah, no, I know. You said that to me, and I immediately went and watched it. Oh, it's, it's like awesome. it really challenged me to go, oh, my gosh, this is just a complete waste of time. Yeah. <laughs> no, cause it's, yeah, because it's just about, it's, you're right, you just want to stay busy. And the funny thing was, I thought when I was playing Clash of Clans, like I was being so clever, and I was like, oh, really early, I'll buy the gems. Because I have some money and it's not like, you know, whatever. It's like entertainment. Mm -hmm. So, I'll, like, okay, I'm going to skip a movie with a friend so I can have $16 to spend on this stupid game by myself. And then what happens? Like, the lights, the things, the challenge of it, all this stuff. And then they start giving you free shit. But they only give you enough free shit so it's not consequential, but it keeps you on the line. And then you find out in Vegas, people who are regulars have loyalty cards, all for the big data, right? Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, and so what they do is as they're leaving the casino, the security cameras all have like facial recognition software. And if it can figure out the person walking out their favorite slot machine with a speaker will call out to them by name. Brandon, come play me. The slots are now at 200,000. You imagine that some guy who's a serious? gambling addict. Yeah, not not joking at all. Not they, these people win awards at the same ceremonies that Don Draper got his for the little kid in the upside down chair with the floor wax. <laughs> wow. Right? This That's is crazy. insane. Why is Mario moldering on the sidelines while I'm running temples, clashing clans, and conquering totally? Earlier I used the metaphor of a gateway drug. But it's true! These games are literally addictive. And the developers know it. They're programming them in a way that hacks your brain, taking advantage of psychological quirks that you probably aren't aware exist, and yet have huge consequences on how you behave 
and what you play. So it's high time that you learn the secrets mobile developers already know and are exploiting inside that head of yours. To understand that, we need the straight dope on the dopamine pathway. The dopamine pathway is one that always seems to come up in those pesky high school biology classes. You know what, what's kind of interesting? There's um, I read this article and I tried it for 24 hours and it really did work. It was, it basically said if you're addicted to your iPhone here, so you can like try to stop. And one thing that you do is you turn it to be, uh, you, you turn on grayscale on your phone, and they say because you're they and they wow. had, and they had made the analogy to your phone like one big slot machine that's designed to draw your eyes in to get your wow. attention and. When I did, I had like no desire to look at it. <laughs> like, I mean, it was crazy how much I did not want to deal with it. Oh my like, goodness! Like that the is... whole thing. When did yeah. you do this? Uh, like two weeks ago. Oh, why have we not talked about? Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Thanks, no, Abide. But... <laughs> uh, yeah, I know, right? No, but like, try it for like twenty-four hours. It's it's really easy to do. You just go into yeah. um, accessibility, system, probably. But... Yeah, yeah. It's, it's. I mean, it's 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 a little bit hidden. But if you go, oh, I think it's this, and then you'll see it. Yeah, it totally, like, it's crazy how much just the colors on your phone pulls you in and attracts you to it. Because you yeah. think it's, like, what you're doing. But it's actually not. I mean, there was, I was still, like, doing stuff on it, but it was, only, it was very, like, it really turned my phone into a utilitarian device, which in that case I kind of like because it, it was just about what I, what, um, I, what, I like needed yeah. in the moment as of, you know, and I was still like trying to like wow. play my games and doing certain things, but it just, it was crazy how much it, how unattractive it made my phone. Wow. Not, sorry. Not, not, not unattractive. Um, it didn't grab my attention the way that it usually did when I went to use it. Yeah. I think attractive is a good word because it's not attracting you to itself. Right. Maybe. No? Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I, I think it like it cause it's, I, cause wow, it's not man. ugly. It's yeah. just not interesting. <laughs> I'm just not into you. It's not that you're ugly. I'm just not no, that yeah. into you. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. It's like a yeah, it's just like a girl who's very plain. Like, oh, I mean, you're fine. You're not hideous. I'm just not into you. <laughs> you're a good worker. You get shit done. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Joan Cusack. Oh, oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was horrible. Oh, that is awesome, though. But so um, this is going to go up as like a bonus episode. On oh, my Patreon, gosh. Right? Yeah, I yeah. think so. <laughs> but one more thing that I wanted to say about that, that you said with the colors that, that was oh, yeah. snapping me back to it is um, he talked about in the book, um, The World Beyond Your Head, he talked about how our perception, the enlightenment philosophy of perception is basically I look at an object and then I put a mental picture of it in my head and that mental picture of it in my head is not really that object but it's a series of things that i make up about that object and um it's it's my own mental construct and so his whole point is no there's a whole world outside your head or beyond your head i keep saying outside beyond your head but he points out how things like the fact that your eyes are eyeballs in a socket meaning they move that it's on a head that turns, that it has a neck that moves, and that your body moves. He said, just by those facts, it is, a, it is never, we are always learning as, or we're always perceiving things, even visually, through our bodies, not just through our eyes. And when he said that, he goes in and talks mm. about, like, high-speed motorcyclists, how, um, and he, he goes to talk about the difference between, there's, like, absolute concentration, total focus in one area, 
And then the other kind of side is complete distraction and lack of focus. And how he talks about this, this different order of focused intensity while also not, uh, man, it's so hard to describe. It's like this middle area where you're focused, but you're still observant of everything else. And so he talks about like mm-hmm. a short order cook who is getting orders over and over and over again. He creates these mental systems, what he calls yeah. um, spatial jigs, like a jig that's or mental jigs. And a jig is like you take a couple pieces of wood, you hammer them together, and then you measure every other piece of wood by that, by those things. And so you can make quick cuts. And all of a sudden, you've mm-hmm. got 50 pieces of wood that are all perfectly sized. Mm-hmm. And you didn't have to mathematically measure out every single one and those 57 and three-quarter inches. You didn't have to do that. You just made your jig, slammed them all up against the lines of the jig, shaved off the extra, and there you go. Right? And so it's like you can become a master craftsman by doing things like that. And he talks about the short-order cook who creates these mental jigs of how he lines up, oh, you want a sausage, egg, and, and mushroom sandwich. Okay, boom, and he lays out sausage, egg, mushroom. He lays it out in the order that he'll put it in the pan mm-hmm. so that, one, he, so he never has to think about it. So he limits all of his options to just the thing he needs, and he creates these mental jigs. And the reason why he's able to balance 15 orders in his head is because as they're coming in, he sets them up in order, like a bartender who pulls out the glass for that exact drink. And as more orders come in, he just pulls out the, and puts them all in order so he knows, oh, well, that's a mojito glass, that's a margarita yeah. glass, and that's a beer glass. Yep. It's so fascinating. It's, it's, I would describe that as being in the zone. Right. So they talk about, he talks about that very much, but he talks about how that, that's also the word that gamblers will use. Uh, as they're gambling, I'm in a flow. I'm in a flow, right? Or um, the guys operating uh, a stock market where they're just seeing, like, numbers whiz by. And he goes to show how the further we remove ourselves from the physical world around us, um, the more it ends up destroying our ability to be, like, content in the world. So it actually is killing us doing these things. Whereas the short-order cook, because he's in the world, he's actually... He's not like a gambler who's just trying to run out of decisions. When he's there, he can focus on super specific things like the, the food prep guy last night cut the onions too large, too thick. Mm-hmm. So it's going to mm-hmm. take X amount. He's free to think about that stuff, whereas someone like me who wouldn't do the mental jig thing and I'd be just throwing all the shit in the pan and hoping it comes out good. He knows and he can start to think at a higher level while at the same time not getting lost in the detail. So, it, I don't know. I think you would love this book. I really It's kind of interesting to think about how that would connect with deep work. Oh, that's literally what I, what I was thinking the whole time because he's like, think about the – I have to give a talk for the Stoomville Conference on social media. And I Ooh, want people to understand. I know, right? And I want people to understand. Drop the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I want people to understand that there is a very deliberate design choice of reward by sustained engagement with an app. So the mm-hmm. longer you're on Instagram, Instagram has to figure out ways to reward you. And I think the most ADD outside of games is um, Snapchat, where people are, yeah. you know, if, did you read that BuzzFeed article, how my 13-year-old sister is, a, is the queen of Snapchat? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's this insane article. This guy's like, I thought I was pretty cool and up-to-date on how to use Snapchat. And there's some of the features I didn't really get. He goes, and then I watched my 13-year-old sister plow through 40 photos in under a minute, liked them, and commented on every single one of them. I believe it. Right? And so, uh, and it's this crazy story, but 
how many teenagers, when they hear, feel the vibration or hear the ding, does that cause that automatic I'm a robot yep. response? That's what's so dangerous about this. And that's social media. That's not even a video game. That's people trying mm-hmm. to talk to each other. And then it's almost like we're not actually trying to talk to each other. We're just trying to get that experience. So we have to give that experience in order to get that. Oh, I, I got a reward. Someone sent me a message, you know. Ugh. Ugh. Right? Now let's add in technology. We know that engagement with social media and our cell phones releases a chemical called dopamine. That's why when you get a text, it feels good. Right? So you know, we've all had it where you're feeling a little bit down or feeling a bit lonely, and so you send out 10 texts to 10 friends, you know, hi, 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 hi. Because <laughs> it feels good when you get a response. Right? Right? It's why we count the likes. It's why we go back ten times to see if and if it's going. If our my Instagram is growing slower, I would. I, I, did I do something wrong? Do they not like me anymore? Right? The, the trauma for young kids to be unfriended, right? Because we know when you get it, you get a hit of dopamine, which feels good. It's why we like it. It's why we keep going back to it. Dopamine is the exact same chemical that makes us feel good when we smoke, when we drink, and when we gamble. In other words, it's highly, highly addictive, right? We have age restrictions on smoking, gambling, and uh, alcohol, and we have no age restrictions on social media and cell phones, which is the equivalent of opening up the liquor cabinet and saying to our teenagers, hey, by the way, this adolescence thing, if it gets you down... (laughs) But that's basically what's happening. That's basically what's happening, right? That's basically what happened. You have an entire generation that has access to an addictive, numbing chemical called dopamine through social media and cell phones as they're going through the high-stress of adolescence. Why is this important? Almost every alcoholic discovered alcohol when they were teenagers. When we're very, very young, the only approval we need is the approval of our parents. And as we go through adolescence, we make this transition where we now need the approval of our peers. Very frustrating for our parents, very important for us. It allows us to acculturate outside of our immediate families into the broader tribe, right? It's a highly, highly stressful and anxious period of our lives, and we're supposed to learn to rely on our friends. Some people, quite by accident, discover alcohol and numbing effects of dopamine to help them cope with the stresses and anxieties of adolescence. Unfortunately, that becomes hardwired in their brains. And for the rest of their lives, when they suffer significant stress, they will not turn to a person. They will turn to the bottle. Social stress, financial stress, career stress. That's pretty much the primary reasons why an alcoholic drinks, right? What's happening is because we're allowing unfettered access to these dopamine-producing devices and media... Basically, it's becoming hardwired, and what we're seeing is as they grow older, they, too many kids don't know how to form deep, meaningful relationships. Their words, not mine. They will admit that many of their friendships are superficial. They will admit that their friends, that they don't count on their friends, they don't rely on their friends, they have fun with their friends, but they also know that their friends will cancel on them if something better comes along. Deep, meaningful relationships are not there because they never practice the skill set. And worse, they don't have the coping mechanisms to deal with stress. So when significant stress starts to show up in their lives, they're not turning to a person. They're turning to a device. They're turning to social media. They're turning to these things which offer temporary relief. We know, the science is clear, we know that people who spend more time on Facebook suffer higher rates of depression than people who spend less time on Facebook. Right? These things balanced. Alcohol is not bad. Too much alcohol is bad. Gambling is fun. Too much gambling is dangerous. Right? There's nothing wrong with social media and cell phones. It's the imbalance. Right? If you're sitting at dinner with your friends and you're texting somebody who's not there, that's a problem. That's an addiction. If you're sitting in a meeting 
with people you're supposed to be listening to and speaking, and you put your phone on the table, face up or face down, I don't care, that sends a subconscious message to the room that you're, not just, you're just not that important to me right now, right? That's what happens. And the fact that you cannot put it away is because you are addicted, right? If you wake up and you check your phone before you say good morning to your girlfriend, boyfriend, or spouse, you have an addiction. And like all addiction, in time, it'll destroy relationships, it'll cost time, and it'll cost money, and it'll make your life worse, right? So you have a generation growing up with lower self-esteem that doesn't have the coping mechanisms to deal with stress. I think probably the worst way that, that it manifests itself is Tinder. Yeah, the swipe right. About it. Yeah. You just have to swipe right, you get the click, you, you, you get the like, then you get a hookup. Yeah. Ugh, I'm so glad I don't have that. I, I really am. I think it would have destroyed me. Yeah, no. No, <laughs> no kidding. I, think I don't it, think it would have destroyed me only because I'm still terrified of women. <laughs> they scare me. <laughs> Bears can smell the menstruation. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening so far. But now we got to talk about our sponsor for this show, LumaBox. LumaBox, L-U-M-I-B-O-X. LumaBox.co is a Catholic subscription box supporting artists, musicians, ministers, and creatives. They've been around since February 2017, and they are here to curate and deliver high-quality Catholic products to fill life with beauty and inspire faith. They provide an easy way to support inspired Catholics who are creating for the church, favoring the lesser-known and up-and-coming. I love that. This is a way for the lesser-known and up-and-coming to reach out to a much wider audience and receive support. It lets those who work for our big church family to really connect to others and thrive in their ministry. I want to thank LumaBox for sponsoring our show, and you can help them and this show by going to L-U-M-I-B-O-X.co. That's C-O. Go to LumaBox.co and check out their subscription packages. It comes in one-month, three-month, and one-year subscriptions and can be given as a gift. This is super important because you visiting our sponsor makes us look good. So just head over to LumaBox, really beautifully designed stuff that you can get once a month to fill life with beauty and inspire faith. Thanks, LumaBox. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I, that is literally, I I was literally panicking on Saturday. I was trying to come up with something all day Friday. I reached out to a handful of people and I was like, what can we do? What can we do? And then Saturday morning I had this stupid, or I had um, some stuff that night. That's what it was. And I was like, shit, shit, shit. What am I going to do? What am I going to do in my car? And I was all stressy. And I was Mm -hmm. like, you know what? I'm going to walk home from dropping off my car. It's three miles. I can do that. No problem. And so I did and walked home and I'm, I'm literally to the corner, maybe a fifth of a mile away from the place. And I was like, oh, I have my earbuds in. I can record a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and my favorite part didn't get recorded because I didn't close down my screen when I put it in my pocket and my phone shook and it said, do you want to undo? And it just kept that uh, message up. Why? And so it pauses the recording. But one of the things happened, I was talking about, you know, like struggling with my weight and blah, 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 and doing that whole sorry thing. And then I saw, and this was crazy, I saw a, a, an obese man in his late 40s, early 50s, walk out, two dogs run away from him, and his daughter, sad that their dogs were running away. And he's, he's a fact, and he just like looked, and he's saying, he's like, come on, come on, come on. And they ran away from him, like they were gone. Oh, and, I, no. and I look over, and I'm like, this guy's not going to run after the dogs. And yeah. I f- and this he's this is this is me this is me in twenty years, 
my kids are disappointed because I have no physical energy. Now, no physical ability. Like right now, I have the ability, just didn't have the energy. And I'm looking at him, and I'm like, you have lost the ability. You can't run after those dogs. So I went off in a dead sprint, and I said, I'm not going to let this little girl look down at her dad because he lost the dogs because he couldn't run. So I yeah. ran, and I out- outran. I ran past him because they were stopping every other yard and looking back. So I got, and I scared them back towards him, and his neighbor had to come out and, actually, and actually get him. Yeah, but I got the whole thing on the podcast. <laughs> I thought I didn't. I was like, this guy is me in 20 years. This is it. I have to make a decision today. <laughs> podcast world, what will I do? Stay tuned. <laughs> Right Sponsored in the com- by Catholic Beer Mountain. <laughs> yeah. Right in the comments if I should, A, lose some weight. <laughs> <laughs> it's called the gamification of our podcast. <laughs> so many ideas. Ding, ding, ding. You get a hey, reward. Yeah. What's the name of that, of that book again? The World Beyond Your Mind. Listen to oh. him on uh, the Art of Mangliness if you... I've I I have I'm, okay. I might hear it again, but I might get it because now I'm really intrigued. Because remember, I thought it was I thought it was like an interesting interview because it seemed like he didn't want to be bothered by having to do a podcast. <laughs> it's just like here's my thoughts. I have to do this. Read the book. I felt that's so funny that you say that. I felt like he was like, this is really high level epistemology, and you're a guy with a mustache who lifts weights. I don't know if he knows that the guy. You know, they talk about this stuff a lot, but. Yeah, but you tell there was this bit of like, yeah. if I have to. <laughs> Good observation. Good. Observation. I think we should definitely try to get the art of mailing this guy on the podcast. I, I went on their website to request, uh, and he says that they are not doing any interviews or other podcasts, even though he just did one on the art of charm. Yeah, but I feel like that's like a networking thing. They like know each other. Absolutely. I don't like the art of charm. I listen to episodes i uh, i don't know how i found it i have no idea how i I mean maybe because i was googling art of manliness but um uh his episode was good there's a handful of other episodes that i then listened to that were good but i just can't i feel like it's too weird like i don't want to be taught how to win woo women that's what it's about that literally i remember this is how i remember this because before i moved to denver i took i took one year off from uh when i was did when I, from I didn't date anyone for a year, right. and I started just seeing. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna get back into the, like in the dating scene. I think I'd, I'd like to like. I didn't want to learn how to like pick up girls, but just like, what should my attitude be? Like, I, I really yeah. want to just like, do this and, and do it well. And so I checked it out, and it was one of those things. Where it's like, here's how you pick up women. That's exactly what it was about. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, they have whole. He does a week long conference where they go like twelve, sixteen hours a day every day for a week. And I'm sure you pay a pretty penny to do it, but they do like the, basically it's how to have confidence in yourself stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and then, I'm, yeah. And there was stuff in there that I liked and that I was like, oh, that's a really good point. Like there were yeah. some really, there were some of, and there was some of it. I was like, that's super cheesy. And just trying to use people, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, I know how I found them. I know how I found them. Some, there's someone recommended a, a podcast called smart passive income or something like that oh yeah 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 and he has he's another guy he's i feel like they're the same type of person where they do five thousand episodes i mean they do like three five a week or something like that i don't know but the smart passive income there's a handful of episodes that i really really liked i think i sent a couple to you on like building a podcast audience or whatever but then Mm -hmm. there's this one where he interviewed the art of charm guy and the art of charm guy talked about growing your podcast and he said the greatest thing i ever did 
was I sat down and said, what is going to really drive people to listen to my show? I have to make it a better show. And so he, like, every time he interviews a guest, he reads every single thing he can possibly read about that Mm -hmm. guest. And that's all he does before he talks to that guest. So he's able to be like, hey, so tell me about that thing in third grade and how it affected your life. And he's like, oh, shit, you remember that? Right. Like, so yeah. it was cool stuff like that. So then I went and I found, that's what it, I found, Brett McKay, and, and which is a fairly recent one. And I think he interviewed, he interviewed Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs. And I the really, Art of Mailiness guy? The Art of Mailiness guy did. And then the Art of Charm guy said he did. So I went oh, okay. and okay. looked for it. I couldn't find it. So I don't know. I don't think it's been released yet, but. Anywho, that's all I got, Luke. That's all I got. No, we just turned a five-minute post-conversation into a 40-minute episode, so that's cool. There we go. Yeah, there we go. We milked it for all it's worth. Oh, and my nipples are the I've got nipples, Greg. Can you milk me? <laughs> I'm going to try. I'm going to try. Deep, 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 deep. <laughs> I just did a bunch of hand motions there that you couldn't see. I, I apologize. I internalized it. Well, Gilmer, where can people find you on the social medias? Uh, they can find me at... AMD Gomer. <laughs> Have you mean when was the last time you used that one? Uh, I use it all the time. Oh, I don't pay attention. <laughs> you don't you just assume it's the same. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, Gomer, I, Gomer's I really li- do. Yeah, Gomer's <laughs> like on the uh, catching boxes quote. <laughs> it's AMD Gomer. <laughs> There's a difference. Hey, real quick, have you read uh Heading Out on Your Own by the Art of Mailiness, their book? No, I've got the green one. Okay. I, uh, I I bought my or for Father's Day. My wife gave me uh, four of their books. I asked oh, nice! Them. The the heading out on your own is thirty one life skills in thirty one days. It was one of their like blogging, you know, things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I really want to take these and offer like like a fun day or week for or or a series of events for young adults, mm. and be like how to do laundry, how to manage a checking account. Regular grooming, <laughs> a weekly att- how to change a flat tire, how to create a budget, essential mm-hmm. etiquette, renting your first apartment, fixing a running toilet. I would love to do stuff like that. You know, it's, it's funny that you brought that up because I've talked to different people about that for different ideas with in my ministry just to like do life skills things. Like there was a uh, theology on tap here in yep. Dayton, and this spring they and they called it Adulting One Hundred and One, and it's just about like different kind of things. Not, I mean, they're more spiritual, obviously, because it was theology on tap, but it tied yeah. into that. That's a little cool. bit more on the practical side. Yeah. I, I think it's a really good idea. Mm. I know at St. Mary's College Campus Ministry for um, at a, Texas A&M, they did a it was like man, man night or man week or something where mm-hmm. it was just for the guys, so the people that run the men's ministry side of it. Uh, it was like how to change a tire, how to change your battery, and it was, like, how to do, like, five or six different things, all the stuff that they could do, like, on campus. And then it ended with how to smoke a cigar. And, they, and that's how they nice. ended. They had, like, a big bonfire and smoke cigars. That's awesome. Yeah. Which is what you can do in college. You can't, <laughs> it can't all be how to drink whiskey. It's got to be, you know, because half your people are underage. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, we call so- them losers. Red Solo Cup. Pass it around. Speaking of which, happy birthday to Ethan. Hey, 21, Ethan, your balls finally dropped. Probably. We can neither <laughs> confirm nor deny. Nor deny. <laughs> oh, man. Now, you know what really, birthday, buddy. You know what really sucks is that I wanted to listen to their last episode of The Crunch because they based it off of 
my, our last episode, the one oh, that yeah, I did. Yeah. And yep. so I was like, cool. So I went and I was talking with Shannon and we couldn't figure out what to watch. So I went to the podcast app on the Apple TV, typed in the crunch, pulled it up. And Shannon is almost in tears laughing at the first seven minutes, which is like their witty banter part. Mm-hmm. And we are both, we are both, we're drinking a glass of wine, staring at our TV display as the album art for the crunch. And she's like, Michael, what if the first time I ever subscribe to a podcast, it's for the crunch? And I was like, uh, that is grounds for annulment. That <laughs> Tell is, that I'd be so upset with that. That is annullable. That is a, mm. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll just get on the podcast and start telling stories. Yeah, and I'll That's tell stories about our sex life. And guess what? <laughs> They're not all my fault. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> uh, so much shame. Damn it. Yes, they are. Ugh. All right. I love you, Luke. Love you too, buddy. Bye. Bye. Bye.